Hey, well, I'd like to welcome you here. My name's Kevin. If uh, you are visiting with us, let me extend a warm uh, welcome to you. Um, just so you know what's, what's coming as we gather here um, at this point, uh, it's usually my job or one of our pastors uh, calling to open the scripture and uh, teach what we believe the Lord is saying to us uh, today. And so um, I'll invite you to take your copy of your scripture. If you, uh, you can use the red pew Bible in front of you and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, if you're using the red pew Bible in front of you, that's page 807. And uh, as you're turning there, let me just set the stage uh, for us where we are this fall. We, a couple of weeks ago, we launched uh, what we are calling the Open Doors Campaign, where we are seeking to uh, rally ourselves together um, to become a, a community, to become a church that is marked by hospitality, that we would treat those who are strangers like family members so that one day they would truly become family members, that we would open the doors of our home, open the doors of our hearts to welcome uh, others in and uh, to give warm embrace to say you belong you can belong here and uh, and so we are seeking to become a community that is hospitable at every level and one of the realities is that uh, our gatherings our corporate gatherings are not necessarily the most hospitable uh, as, as we're overcrowded as often you have to walk in the front and so we are seeking to uh, do a uh, a fundraising campaign to help transform this facility uh, as well into a hospitable place for our gatherings. And um, so as, as part of this Open Doors campaign, I mean, we're encouraging every single one of us who would be part of Cornerstone here to sign up for and attend one of the vision nights that we uh, have planned, eight of them throughout uh, the course of the next couple of months. We've had one already. There's another one tomorrow night. And many of you, I think, are kind of just holding your, holding your bets and saying, eh, I'll see, what, see which one will finally work. And uh, our concern is that we're going to get to the end, and then there's going to be hundreds of you signing up at the last moment, and my house can't hold a hundred of you. So um, can I encourage you to maybe sign up today? This sermon's going to be a little on the boring side. Pull out your phone, opendoorsniagara.com. When I get boring, just sign up online. Uh, or you can, in our connection time, head down the stairs. There's sign-up lists. You don't even have to do it online. You could just write your name in one of those boxes. Don't write the one for in the, your name in the box for last week, however. All right. So in the midst of this campaign, we are going to be uh, speaking and teaching throughout the fall on uh, some values of our church. So what are some plumb lines for us? What are some guiding lights that will help us in making decisions in maintaining well, who, who we believe God has called us to be and making decisions that would honor him? Statements really that help us chart the course to make decisions. When we're faced with decisions, what are those values? What are those plumb lines that are going to hold true and ring true for us that we want to be true to? And the first one this morning is that our message is Jesus, that what we do not want to proclaim to this community, especially as we are potentially building and renovating, is that Cornerstone is awesome. And you need to become part of Cornerstone because it's all about our brand and our kingdom and our reputation. And what, what, uh, what we want to continually remind ourselves is that our message is not ourselves. 
Our message is not our transformed lives. Our message is not how great we are. Our message is how great Jesus is. Our message is the good news about who Jesus is and what he has done for us, not what we are doing for him. And so to help anchor us in that truth this morning, I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. For the message of the cross, which is another word for gospel, good news, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where's the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts Boast in the Lord. This is God's word to us today. See, the central claim of Christianity, the central message of Christianity is that the only hope for the human condition is found in the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection and the imminent return of Jesus. And the reality, though, is that to many, this message, the message of the cross, is foolish. It's ludicrous. It's absurd. It's mockable. It's untenable. It's irrelevant. Now, we don't despise the world for feeling this way. In fact, many of you may feel this way at times, or maybe you currently feel this way about the message of Jesus, that it's, it's kind of absurd. It's irrelevant. I really don't care. I don't see how it impacts me. It's ludicrous. It's untenable. It's dangerous, even. We don't despise the world for feeling this way, but simply I say this to acknowledge the fact that to belong to Christ, that belief in Jesus today brings cultural shame on us, that we're seen to be on the wrong side of every social issue. And now the, the, the temptation, though, is for us to, as a church, to try to make Christianity palatable, try to make it cool. And so if there's a famous quarterback who names the name of Jesus, we, are, we all become Tim Tebow fans and somehow think that if Tim Tebow is successful and he's a Christian, then Christianity is more palatable or more cool or more acceptable in the culture. Or we, or we try to 
relent and, and, and somehow change what the scriptures say on some issues in order to make things more palatable, make things more attractive to this world. And I hope to show us this morning, with God's help and through the Scripture, how the message of the cross is both beautiful and powerful and wise, that it is the beauty, power, wisdom of Jesus Christ in Him crucified that is for us wisdom and power and beauty. So first of all, notice how the world sees uh, the message of Jesus. The natural response of humanity is to see the message of the cross as foolishness, verse 18. Verse 22, Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks. You see, Jews were interested in in power. They were looking for a Messiah, looking for a Savior. They were interested in one who could come and vanquish their enemies and who who through might and through strength would conquer their enemies. But the cross to the Jews is a stumbling block. It's offensive to them. It's a stumbling block because they don't see a strong God humiliating his enemies. They see a weak God humiliated by his enemies. They don't see God as victor. They see God as victim. And so the message of the cross is foolishness. Greeks were seeking intellectual and philosophical sophistication. They were the deep thinkers. They were the ones who were up on the latest schools of thought. And in their view, there was nothing sophisticated about a salvation that came through one man dying on a Roman cross. It was ludicrous them to think that the ailments of the human race could be solved by one man dying for others. We see these same inclinations in our culture. Those who long for displays of might and power and strength. Those who long for sophistication, intellectual esteem. But Paul says there's a third person, someone who has come to see Jesus and Jesus crucified as the very wisdom and power and beauty of God that the world is hungry for. The world is hungry for. Our neighbors to the south, why did they vote the way they did? Because they were after power and might and wanted someone who could make them feel strong. Why did they vote the way they did before that? They wanted someone who could make them feel smart and wise and sophisticated. The world is hungry for wisdom. The world is hungry for power. And followers of Jesus are those who have come to see that the wisdom and power that the world is hungry for find their resolution in Jesus. That those who are called, that those who who believe, those who are being saved, find the message of Jesus to be a brilliant and powerful and beautiful reality that gives life. You see, verse 30, he says says, um, that... It's because of him that we're in Christ Jesus. He has become, Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness and holiness, our redemption. Jesus has become for us wisdom. We all want to be wise. We all want to live and to know and understand ultimate reality and to live our lives aligned with ultimate reality. We don't want to be at cross current to the universe. 
Our lives will dash upon the rocks of reality if we're at cross purposes to what is truly and really real. And Paul's saying, in Jesus, in the message of Jesus crucified for us, we find wisdom. In, in the message of Jesus and Jesus crucified for us, we find holiness, that's, that is, or, or sorry, righteousness, that is being right with God and having a confidence in who we are, or having a confidence in this world. He has become for us sanctification or holiness, that is positive life change. He does a powerful work in us, growing us into the kinds of people we were created to be. We find in Jesus, he says, redemption, freedom from the things we know are killing us. See, these people that Paul describes see the brilliant and powerful work in the cross that gives new life, and they have found all in Jesus. You see this displayed in the the life of one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis. Maybe you've heard of him. I've quoted him once or twice. This brilliant scholar who just found the message of Jesus to be vulgar and offensive and untenable and absurd. And he couldn't accept Christianity. And, he, and in one of his writings, he describes the, the transition for him is that he was like a snowman dripping, melting, that the, the light of reality was just shining on him like the sun shines on a snowman. And drip by drip by drip, his resistant, resistance melted away. He, he's, another place describes that he was like in a chess match with God, and, he, and God, God had him cornered. And so one of the chapters in his books is called Checkmate. And he came to believe in Jesus. And as he did that, he wrote this poem um, called Donkey's Delight. I, I pardoned the French in, in it, but it's, it's so good I couldn't share it. I could not share it. Where he describes himself like this, A daredevil, a ne'er-do-well, who smelled of shag and gin. Before me, and far warmer was his welcome, he went in. I stood still in the chill of the great morning, aghast. Then at last, oh, I was late learning. I repented, I entered into the excellent joke, the absurdity. My burden rolled off as I broke into laughter, and soon after I found my own level. With Balaam's ass daily out at grass I revel, now playing, now braying over the meadows of light, our soaring, creaking gloria, our donkey's delight. This brilliant scholar entered into this excellent joke, this absurdity. But he says it's this glorious, enlivening, burden-lifting, laughter-giving reality that brings delight and play and glory. So how is the cross? Here's our central question this morning. How is the cross of Jesus such a beautiful display of the power and wisdom of God? How is the cross of Jesus such a powerful display of the power of and wisdom of God. And so therefore, why is our message Jesus? Why must we as a church always hold fast to say our message is Jesus? We preach Christ. We don't preach ourselves. We don't preach our changed lives. We don't change the lifestyle we're calling you into. We preach Christ crucified and what he has done for us. The first reason is that the cross decisively solves the human dilemma. The cross decisively solves the human dilemma, which is this. And this is the the dilemma that's really um, all throughout Scripture, is how can sinful people in a sin-ravaged world be reconciled to a holy God? 
How can sinful people in a sin-ravaged world be reconciled to a holy God? How can all that's wrong be put right? And the message of Jesus, the message of the cross, is that it's only resolved in the cross. You see, if our great need is for reconciliation with God, then the cross is the central reality. And the cross solves this dilemma of how sinful people can be reconciled with God. You see, here's the truth about God. God doesn't express his attributes or any of his attributes to the diminishing of any other of his attributes. And so we can say that God is righteous and pure and just, that he has perfect justice. And he is grace and love and mercy. And so this dilemma, it's almost a dilemma for God, that how can God punish sin and so uphold his justice and holiness and righteousness and purity? And how can he also at the very same time pardon sinners and so uphold his love and grace and mercy? You see, God can never express his justice at the expense or the diminishing of his love. And he can't express his mercy at the diminishing of his justice. And the cross is the answer to this. The cross says is that Jesus is the only commendable one, but he was condemned for us so that we could be accepted, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done. The cross says that the Son of God was treated like the enemy of God so that enemies of God could be treated like sons. It says that Jesus gets the punishment that we deserve so we could get the pardon that we couldn't earn. That at the cross, justice and mercy kiss. See, the cross is breathtakingly beautiful and powerful and wise. That God, as the book of Romans says, can be at the very same time both just and justifier of the ungodly. God doesn't have to diminish his justice, and he doesn't have to diminish his love. He's fully grace, full mercy, perfect love, and at the same time, perfect justice, perfect holiness. Justice is served, and love is served at the very same time. You see, the cross of Jesus is breathtakingly beautiful and powerful and wise, because it solves the human dilemma. Second thing is that the cross of Jesus is powerful and wise because it exalts God as Savior and not us. You see, we see that, verse 29, so that no one may boast before him, right? It's because of him that we are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, as it's written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, the cross of Jesus ensures that God gets all of the glory. God gets all of the praise. God gets all of the worship and not us. No one gets any praise, glory, and worship for salvation other than Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And here's why that's really good news. Because you and I were not built to bear the weight of being worshipped. We're not built to bear the weight of being praised and being worshipped, and receiving glory. Has someone ever looked up to you in such a way that it was crushing? That they revered you, they worshipped you, That's, it's crushing. It either it crushes us, because we cannot bear the weight of being Savior of ourselves. Some of us have hired ourselves out as God, and we realize we can't do the job. We can't do the job of God. We're not qualified to be our own Savior. Or it it can crush us or it corrupts us and we become proud. 
as we bear the weight of being God, of wanting to be worshipped, of wanting praise, of wanting glory. You see, if we want to be worshipped, we're going to be miserable. If we try to save ourselves from our insignificance through our achievement, it's, it's so exhausting because we never quite measure up. If we try to save ourselves from loneliness by chasing one relationship after another, it's exhausting because we will find that no one relationship can fully satisfy. You see, you and I were built to worship, not to be worshipped. You and I were built to be saved, not to be savior. When we exalt people, that, that leads to divisions and factions. And we exalt one president and demonize the other. But when we boast in Jesus, that's where we find our life and our joy. That's our boast. I preached on that at the end of, end of the spring, end of the book of Galatians last spring. And here's the truth about our boast. We all boast in something. We all, we all find our joy, our significance, our life somewhere. And the depth and the duration of our joy is dependent on the depth and duration of that object of our joy. That thing that we find our joy in, the thing that we find our life in. The depth and the duration of our joy is dependent on the depth and duration of that object where we find our joy. And the Psalms say, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's There's depth. There's a fullness of joy. There's duration, pleasures forevermore. You see, the cross exalts God as our hope, our joy, as our Savior, and the only one worthy and reliable object of our worship. And so we must never trust in ourselves, never trust in our wisdom, never trust in our might, never trust in our riches, never trust in our sophistication, never trust in our powers of reason, But as a church, we need to continually trust in Jesus as the one who is worthy of worship, whose fame and renown we want to spread. Not the brand of Cornerstone. Not the fact that Cornerstone has an incredibly handsome pastor. That's not not what we're wanting to spread. And he's really smart too, but whatever. Whatever. We want the fame and renown of Jesus to spread. Third, how is the cross a beautiful display of the wisdom and power of God? The cross shows us that humble love is ultimate reality. Humble love is ultimate reality. Wisdom, power. You see, the cross tells us that before all those things, the message of the word of God is that before there was power, before there was wisdom, there was love. Ultimate reality, and we've, we've shared this many times from this place, is the ultimate reality is the Trinity, this community of humble love where the Father loves and gives, pours himself out for the Son and the Spirit. And the Son pours himself out for the Spirit and the, and the Father. And the Spirit pours himself out for the Father and the Son. And they're just giving glory to each other and loving each other perfectly. You see, At the beginning of it all, at the foundation of it all, is love, not power, not wisdom. And the cross says is that the cross shows us the perfect example of God purposefully humiliating himself for others. This humble love, others-focused love. That's the, that's the, the heart of humility, 
is a focus on others. The heart of pride is a focus on ourself and our rights. The focus of humility, the heart of humility is a focus, a thinking of, our, uh, of the others. You see, pride is using power and manipulation to get our own way. Right? Using power and manipulation. So using strength or wisdom. Pride is using power and manipulation to get your own way. And that's disastrous in relationships. Like, like try that in marriage. Like, that, that, that's disastrous. Where we, if we're focused on ourselves and our rights... That's what leads to divisions and conflicts. Remember, a picture in my head of this is the, in, in June, I, was, I had board meetings in New York City. I was riding the subway and uh, got off in rush hour in a busy subway station. And uh, kind of in the middle on the platform were, were two guys. And they were just like in each other. It looked like an MMA, UFC like weigh-in where like they're nose to nose and they're like ready to bite each other's heads off. And there was two guys... Like, and they were big dudes, and like, they were right in each other's face. And here's why. At least I think this is why. Because they bumped into each other. At least that's the reason I got into one later. (laughs) It's okay, though. She backed away. It's my rights. You you got in my way. So I got to defend myself, and I'm going to exert my power. For my reputation, my fame, my, my, my rights. I'm going to exert my power at your expense. You see, if, if God were not Trinity, and, and the ulti- ultimate reality is, Augustine says this, is that power is then becomes ultimate reality. But God is Trinity. God is a community of holy love, of humble love. And so ultimate reality is humble love. And so we don't, desire to exercise power. We don't desire to manipulate, to expose ourselves as most wise, as most mighty, as most rich, as the best. Our message is Jesus, and the, and, and the cross shows us that humble love is at the center of it all, and that then has to define the center of our own lives. Last, last thought, last reason in this text how the cross is a beautiful display of the power and the wisdom of God is that the cross bestows an enduring value and confidence upon us. The cross not only humbles us, the cross not only shows us our great need, our desperate need of being saved and, and our inability to save ourselves and our, and our, and our own wretchedness, and it, it humbles us, but it also picks us up and and, and, and gives us a new boldness, a new confidence, and a new sense of our value. You see, the, the joke right now on the street that I live on is that uh, someone has decided to put their home for sale. I don't know if you know where I live, but I live on um, a nice little street in Virgil, suburban subdivision, you know, small lots, nice homes, great. We love our street. Um, and, but the fella, you know, listed with a real estate agent for $2.15 million. Probably about four times what, what he should list for it as what it's worth, right? But what is something worth? What is something worth? How do you determine the value of that home? Whatever someone's willing to pay. 
You can ask whatever you want, but something's worth is found in what someone is willing to pay for it. That's how much the home is worth. How much is your life worth? The Father gave his one and only Son to purchase you, to secure your freedom, to secure the relationship with you. How valuable is that? Two point two million. You see, if if our relationship with God was based on the life that we lived, the good deeds we do, if it was just an accounting sheet between have you done so many good things and so many bad things and what weighs itself out, we will live in constant insecurity and constant fear. Have I done enough? Have I kept my nose clean enough? But the cross says this is enduring. You, never, you were never good enough to earn it, so you can never be bad enough to not earn it. He says it's regular people. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were strong. Not many of you were esteemed in this world. So as I close here this morning, when you hear of the cross, when you hear the good news, the message of Jesus, who Jesus is and what he has done with us, what's... What's, what, what's your heart response? Does your heart swell at that good news? Does your heart burst? Is it, does it burn within you? Is it swelling and saying, wow, this is beautiful. This is amazing. This is exactly what I need. Do you love it? Do you need it? Do you rejoice in it? Does it, does it propel you to worship? Or is the message of the cross a little absurd? It sounds foolish kind of irrelevant to me. I'm kind of, I'll walk out here with whatever. Who cares? Is it ludicrous? The invitation to every single one of us in this room today is to hear the call and to enter into that excellent joke, that absurdity, into that glorious, burden-lifting, joy-giving reality to hear the call and to enter in and for us as a people to say our firm conviction is that we preach Christ crucified we don't preach ourselves our message is not how great we are our message is not our programs our activities our changed lives our message is Jesus we preach Christ. The temptation will always be to boast in ourselves, to boast in our brand, our name, our kingdom, our reputation, our success. But let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let him who boasts, boast in this, it says in another place, that he knows me. And why do we know, why can we know God? It's through the cross of Jesus. And it's through the cross of Jesus that Jesus has become to us wisdom from God and righteousness and holiness and redemption. And so he is everything for us. He is our hope. He's our song. And my prayer for you today is that your heart would swell, that your heart would burn, that you would say, yes, this is what it's all about. This is who it's all about. 
Would you pray with me? So, Father, thank you for every man and woman in this room. And, Lord, we, we, I pray that the message of the cross, which is foolishness to those who are perishing, which sounds absurd and ludicrous and untenable and dangerous and exclusive, that that message, Lord, would sound like life today, that it would just be a release from burdens. And, Lord, if, if there's those in us, Lord, we, we so often just try to, to earn our own significance through our achievement, and we try to earn our own relationships, and we try to measure up on our own. We, try to, we, we love other things, and we try, to, we try to boast in our own selves, our own doings. Lord, would you forgive us of that and remind us again, convince us again of the sufficiency of Jesus. And so it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.